Talk lines open now at 247-2000. Happy sunny Monday, my friends. Michelle here with the Greater Ketchikan Chamber of Commerce for Business Matters Monday. Yeah, it's a great day. This is way better weather than that uh, snowstorm that we had over the weekend. Holy smokes. Well, good herring egg, egg, egg weather. Excuse me. Hey, we've got Dave from the governor's office on the line. Hey, Dave, are you there? Well, happy Monday to you, Michelle. Hi, happy Monday to you, too. It's, uh, is the weather up there halfway decent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some high clouds. Um it's the best time in Anchorage because everything's thawing and the continuous aroma of dog crap uh, perpetually fills the air. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know, I sure. Let me ask a random question. This is not a question that you would expect from a media person asking the governor's office. But did you all up there have the same kind of dog crap problem all over the streets, all everywhere during the pandemic like we had down here? I've never seen anything like it. It was just everywhere. Yeah, uh, apparently get out and enjoy Alaska. Uh, I guess the subtext was and don't clean up after your dog. Right? <laughs> I hope we I hope that our communities will do better when the tourists start arriving. Oh my so goodness. the unintended consequence because uh we had members of the Anchorage Assembly uh get the vapors because grocery stores were handing out plastic bags. Uh, apparently none of them are dog owners and as that supply dwindled this was leading up to COVID. Um Sometimes there would be like little doggy do stations where you could grab a bag. But when people started running out of plastic bags, they're like, oh, um, I'm sure it'll be fine. And then you have tens of thousands of people saying, I'm sure it'll be fine. And now, thank goodness, the grocery store that I go to has plastic bags. So I've restocked and um, I don't have to. I, I don't have to worry about that. So hopefully we'll, we'll be trending in the right direction here sh- soon. Is your grocery store offering plastic bags under some sort of protest? No, it's 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 apparently the the science wins, and people bringing in their homemade macrame bags are just terrible uh, petri dishes of all sorts of unhygienic things. And weirdly, plastic. Ask any doctor works at being hygienic. Hey, I'm I'm right there with you because that's exactly what I use my plastic grocery bags for is doggy do stuff. This is riveting radio. People, this is why people tune in every Monday, Michelle. There's, what do you mean? There's no bigger Next issues facing the state. <laughs> yeah, right. Definitely. Well, you know, uh, I, I, on a more serious note, uh, the tribute to Don Young over the weekend was was very special, um, and it should be a very interesting upcoming special election with what is it, fifty fifty one candidates in there well, now? So far, two have withdrawn. So um, I, I think I think um, the, the the deadline to withdraw is noon today. So right now, so there's currently 49 uh, active candidates. At last I saw, I, I, I don't I, I that number may go down quite a bit. But but even if it goes down a dozen, we will have more candidates for that seat 
than California did for the vacant seat by the recall several years ago that got Arnold Schwarzenegger elected. So they had like 25 or 27 candidates. We, we, if we lose a bunch, we'll still have north of 35. So it's uh, quite impressive. Well, and to add to the free-for-all is the, the new way of voting. Yeah, uh, Division of Elections and the Lieutenant Governor's Office, you know, they, they, they knew that they uh, had this on the horizon for the regular general election, and then, of course, for the passing of Congressman Young. Uh, these folks uh, are, are doing the very best that they can to inform the public, to have a in, uh, institute a methodology that is secure, uh, that that people can have confidence in. I mean, there is there is a a lot that they are are putting together, and people are saying we're just saying that because you were opposed to ballot measure two. I'm just talking about the logistics of this. It doesn't matter whether I like ballot measure two or not. The reality is that there are some logistic constraints that the Division of Elections is working under, and they are doing their best to inform the general public as to how it works. Okay, now (laughs) I'm going to go down the rabbit hole here of, I found it very interesting, you know, by and large, uh, Alaska leans Republican, and in many Republican states, they have been vehemently opposed to mail-in ballots, yet the lieutenant governor has chosen division of elections has chosen to do mail in ballot only for the special election correct yes that's interesting to me i mean it just is i well well i think first it shows that the process isn't run by politics and and secondly the the logistics of of getting machines so you you have to print the ballots and and now we can we i think we can generously say printing's probably going to take a little bit longer than it usually does you have to calibrate all of the machines to now read a potential 50 or 48-person, 49-person ballot. You have to have enough poll workers to stay, because you can't just have some poll precincts open in some parts of the state and not others. Correct. So finding the people, getting the equipment out, having doing so in, in frankly, a very short window um, they made the determination over there that uh, nobody's going to like this, but to, to, to meet the requirements of the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution and the law, this is how we have to do it. Well, now, you know the, what? The regular August primary will be a regular vote by precinct, vote, vote uh, uh, however, however, and the November election will be that. It, it, is, it is the, I guess, the special primary in June is is vote by mail and you can go to your local division of election office and fill out your ballot there too of course and, and you know that ballot i imagine is going to be longer than a safeway receipt for a mother shopping for 12 kids oh yeah i mean it's going to be huge all right so let's let's also go let's also segue into since we're having random conversations that began with crap um what in the heck is this this halftime this major halftime that's happening in the legislature now come on well, I'm, I'm, I'm watching them, and they've gaveled in now, and it would appear that masking in the House is optional because uh, the Speaker isn't wearing a mask. So 
whatever outbreak they had last week, and they were angry, uh, it appeared that some members of the House were angry at other members of the House for not wearing masks. Uh, the science says um, uh, a Monday away from the previous Monday, everything's fine, and you can go back to doing whatever the bleep you want. <laughs> well, let's hope that they, whatever bleepity beep, get something done. Well, they were going to debate the budget, the operating budget last week, and there's a line in politics. If you have the votes, vote. And if you don't have the votes, make sure the people who do have the votes have a difficult time voting. And I, I wonder if if the, the mini-COVID outbreak didn't put the majority-minority numbers a bit topsy-turvy. And this is just, just, just Dave having coffee speculating. And, and that may have been a partial contributor to the delay, because if you introduce an amendment on the floor, and you, you, can, you can have it be part of the greater budget by a simple majority vote. So there, there, there could have been some strategery, or not, but there could have been <laughs> some not. strategery in it as well. Interesting. And, well, do you really do you feel like they're going to be able to n- nail down this budget in in short order because without having fifteen special sessions? Well, I, I think everybody took the week off to study the budget uh, intensely. Uh, to so the 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 floor actions on the budget shouldn't take that long at all because everybody knows what's in it. Everybody knows what it does and doesn't do. So, and I'm being a little facetious here, but I I would I would think. That, you know, we saw the legislature, the House side move quickly on a new bill to limit the size of campaign contributions. I think I think they were able to do it in like 10 days. So they've had the budget since December. And I, I would hope because you've got everyday Alaskans, you've got small business owners, you've got business owners of larger companies. They're all they're all sort of waiting to see what comes out of the House side, knowing that the Senate still has their work to do. So there'll be uh, some sort of reconciliation between the two. Oh, interesting, interesting. What, anything else of interest going on that you think folks should know about? Uh, well, I can't top 49 candidates for Congress or the House taking a week off and now taking up uh, the budget. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, as soon as I hang up, I'm going to turn gavel to gavel on and watch it with you. <laughs> well, yeah, make sure and uh, step carefully up there around the crap on the ground in Anchorage. I, I will indeed. All right. I will indeed. Have a great day. Talk to me next week, Michelle. Bye. All right. Bye. And there you have it, the ever-entertaining Dave Steeren from the governor's office. Uh, you never know what we're going to be talking about. Issues of importance like plastic bags and dog feces. To start off your Monday on First City Forum, in the house I've got Jeff Wiedekin from Chinook Shores, and he has some very interesting things to talk about. Um, specifically, you, he, you attended the Board of Fisheries meeting, right? Yes, uh, I was up there with our, uh, our daughter McKinley. Who also uh, she's our manager at our lodge, and she also has a environmental science degree. So it was great having her up there with us. Uh, Russell Thomas was up there with with uh, Clover Pass Resorts and and their all their other companies, and it was a, it was a really good meeting. It um, I, th- I think it was one of the first times I walked out of a, a board of fish meeting and, and felt good about it. All so, right, so hold that thought for now, because just you know I was actually driving around town. All last week, putting up our Race to Alaska Raffle Classic posters. We'll talk more about that later, people. But I'm seeing lots of new faces. Lots and lots of new faces. You know, it's, it's getting to be that time of year. Let's talk about Chinook Shores. Um, because 
it's it's very very interesting to me and um talking to your wife a whole lot so pandemic horrible horrible for for everyone and but you guys as a fishing lodge um spent a lot and many others too spent a lot of times putting some things into place adjusting your operations where you guys took a hit but you kind of you really bounced back last year and what i'm hearing um from the lodges this year for example russell thomas sent out an email i feel comfortable sharing this because he sent out an email mm-hmm. that said they were booked booked 100 percent for the season this email was like two and a half months ago and therefore, they were going to back up their opening. They're going to open a month earlier just to allow more people the ability to come and visit. And you guys have been pretty busy out there too, right? Oh, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty good. And I think a lot of people, you know, they have cabin fever. They want to they want to go on vacation. Uh, maybe some people aren't comfortable going out of country yet. Uh, Canada was closed down for, uh, you know, a longer period than we were. And uh, I think what really helped us through the, uh, the COVID epidemic was the governor lifting uh, travel bans and also Ketchikan being friendly with travelers, too. And that made a huge difference for us. Well, and also here's, here's just my own Michelle O'Brien theory. This is not the official theory of the Chamber of Commerce in any way, shape or form. My own theory was that a bunch of people, like you said, they had cabin fever and realized that Ketchikan was open and safe and they said well the heck with it if i can't go on my cruise ship i'm just gonna go on my own oh absolutely and and what made us successful uh was we have individual cabins so each fan we typically do family trips or a, a group of guys uh and they each get their own house their own beach house and they each get their own boat so I mean, how, how better can you social distance by you're staying in your own beach house, you go out in your boat, and you're, you know, five miles out in the water fishing by yourselves, and the only time they were ever around other people was when they came back to the dock, and then we would just, you know, try to remind people to keep their distance from, from the other groups. And so it worked out real well for us, and it, it did cost a lot more to operate uh, just because of all the extra... Clean PPP supplies. And the, oh yeah, my gosh! Stuff. Yes, all that. Yep, and and having to disinfect every room. In fact, when I uh, w- when we went and applied for our second round at PPP, the one of the responses I got was, "Well, your your revenues, your 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 uh, your revenues not quite matching your uh, your employees." In other words, you, you're having all this extra, uh, em, all these extra employees, but less revenue. So why is that? Well, it's it's pretty simple, and not many people think about it. We had to hire extra employees just to do all the cleaning, and so even though our reservations were down, we still had to hire more employees to. So kind of kind of lopsided there. You know what I also thought was brilliant, and forgive me, I can't remember if it was you all, or Clover Pass, or Salmon Falls, or all of the above. Um, but I thought a brilliant idea and kind of in the very beginning was that you guys offered kind of special concierge services. In other words, what I had heard from one of you all was that um, no one could, you got, once you got to the lodge, you couldn't leave and you were not allowed to come in town, but then you would send these extra employees into the Safeway. Like, all right, we need a 12 pack of beer, bunch of Cheetos or whatever it is that they wanted and a catch can t-shirt size double X. Um, 
but you guys would send your folks into town to pick those items up and then take them back out to the lodge. Yeah, and, and in fact, we, um, Andrea, my wife, she came up with a great ordering uh, spreadsheet that, that she would send to people so they could order their groceries before they came up. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we would, uh, and then uh, both Safeway and Alaska and Proud were great at filling these orders. So we would pick them up at the airport. Typically, we'd drop them off and they would shop on their own, but we kept them in the van and we had our employee run in and grab the box of groceries or multiple boxes of groceries for them and then bring that out. And then, of course, we had people run into town every day to, to get what they either forgot or what was uh, incorrectly placed in their box. So. Like, darn it, we really yeah. needed 36 beers, not 12. But yeah, <laughs> that, that tends to happen quite a bit. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm sure that and the rest, you know, 99.999% of the community is thrilled that the tourists are coming back. Now, back to what I was saying before, the Michelle O'Brien observation of the independent traveler. I think what's going to make the next couple of years going forward kind of interesting is now these people have discovered more people have discovered that it's pretty cool to come on your own. So you've got all those extra people, and now you're having all the tour, the, the cruise ship people come back. It's going to be very, very interesting. It, it is, and, and not only have these people discovered that it's, it's great to go to our lodges, but we have more and more people now that want to spend an extra two or three days just hanging out in Ketchikan. So they're booking at some of the local uh, VRBOs or, or hotels, and they'll typically a lot of our people now will come up and spend two or three days in town uh, just hanging out and, and looking at all the, the wonderful sites, maybe go on a float plane trip or, or some other uh, type of excursion before they come out to our lodge. So it's and then, of course, then they're eating out at the local restaurants. They're renting cars. And I think it's it's great for the whole economy. I completely agree. So thinking about the, the travelers, and I think that I read Nadra's press release correctly. You got some good news at the Board of Fisheries? Yeah, we got lots of good news. One of the – there was a couple issues that, uh, that we went up there to address. Uh, one of the ones – was the rockfish closures that we've had since I believe 2020 and that just didn't sit right with me and and I think a lot of other residents and because it not only was it close to non-residents it was a blanket closure to all sport fisheries in uh, in southeast Alaska and and the reason for that was they um, the way they manage that rockfish fishery is by taking uh, surveys underwater surveys of the commercially fished areas, which are the west coast of Prince of Wales and, and uh, off of Yakutat. And so the whole purpose of doing these surveys is to estimate the number of uh, yellow-eye rockfish that are, that are down there, and then they, they do some calculations and come up with the, the biomass estimate. And if there's enough of them, then that warrants a commercial fishery to take place on those fish. Well, in the last few years, that, that population's been depleted. And so it just automatically triggered a shutdown of all rockfish, even the ones on the inside waters where we live. The, the problem is these fish are very territorial. So what's going, out, what's going on 100 miles from here doesn't really correlate to what's happening on the inside waters. But unfortunately, it's the only information they have to go on. So they, they closed everything. Except for there still is a rockfish fishery that uh, kind of a de facto fishery that takes place, and that's the the bycatch fishery from the commercial longliners and trollers and lingcod fishermen, which is necessary for those fisheries to take place because they're going to catch 
they're going to catch those yellow eye rockfish and you don't want to just throw them overboard and watch them float so they can keep up to 10 percent of their directed fishery quota which comes to about 260,000 pounds of a yellow eye taken a year in, in that fishery but what didn't sit right with me is why why is that still being allowed to happen but i can't catch a rockfish and take it home and eat it so yes yeah, see i was gonna that, ask that, right. that was really tough and so it so we kind of we went up there with that argument and uh and the fishing game uh managers and scientists and people up there are just wonderful and i we kind of explained the situation and and they said yeah i don't think there's any reason why we can't open this back up to non-residents but we have to write a new regulation because current regulations wouldn't allow closure of non-residents and open to residents so we had to write a whole new regulation which we did while we were up there and we got that passed so i I think the lieutenant governor still has to sign it but the good news is i think we'll be able to eat a rockfish this summer nice (laughs) (laughs) but yellow eye is still off the table just sport anglers right yellow yellow eye is still off the table to everyone and and hopefully we can get some some surveys done on the inside waters the way they do it on the outside waters is they have a, they call it a rove. It's a remote operated vehicle, little submarine that goes down. They do the rockfish Oh, like Gary Freitag has one. Does he? Yeah. Well, yeah, I bet he does. At UAS? Yeah. 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 Well, the one they use, I think, is stationed out of Homer. But it would be nice to find the funds to get one to do the inside waters. And that would probably have to come through the, the legislature to get some funds to the fishing game. But I, I think Dan Ortez was working on, on that a little bit. And uh, hopefully we can uh, get behind that and, and get some, now the oil prices are up, hope there's some more money floating around and maybe we can get some surveys done on the inside waters. Well, I got a question though for you. So you have a guest that comes and they go out fishing and, you know, obviously they're going to want salmon and so on and so forth. Um, ha- on average, um, about how many rockfish would you expect a, a guest to bring in? Well, typically, there, there's different kinds of rockfish. There's pelagic rockfish, which are the ones that are just, they're nomads, right? They, they travel around in schools. They could be on the bottom. They could be on the top. And on those, you're still allowed five per person per day. But they're, they're hard to find sometimes, especially on the inside waters. On the outside waters, they're more prevalent. But on the inside waters, they're kind of hard to find. So not a lot of our guests catch those. In the past, they were really only allowed one rockfish a day. And so they would, you know, a group of four guys would bring back four rockfish at the most. Um, but what was what I found interesting is when we, when we told these people, because I never thought of, it, it was more of a bycatch fish to me. We don't really target them that much. Um, so what I found interesting was how many people almost burst into tears when we told them they couldn't keep rockfish. And and I'm, I'm actually one of those. I'm like people, people, or guests. <laughs> our, our our guests, our guests, and and then I didn't realize it, but that's what they would eat while they were there, and that was their favorite thing to do: is get their rockfish cleaned, go back and make ceviche, or just fry it up. It's such a good eating fish. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about rockfish too. I it's, it's my favorite eating fish, and uh, so I was surprised to hear so many of our guests. How, how it really affected them and how upset they were about it. So hopefully we can get it open to everyone again, um, you know, in the maybe in the next three years or so. But the only reason I, the only way I see that happening maybe is by getting some surveys done on the inside waters where mm-hmm. we actually fish instead of, instead of having these blanket closures all over the entire Southeast based on some outside water surveys. 
So I thought I heard something or read something, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, that part of the problem with these these fish surveys across the board is the fact that, that Fish and Game just doesn't have the, the staff anymore to kind of properly do it, if you will. Yes, yes. And the, and the reason they did it on the West Coast is because that is what what they had to do to prosecute that directed uh, rockfish fishery. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so that, that the, the only reason they even did those surveys out there was to keep that rockfish uh, fishery going. So, but that, unfortunately, like I said, that was the only data they had to also regulate the sport fishery. Right, so it's so, kind of a best guess, educated yeah, estimate Yeah, well, it's like, deal. okay, we're fishing, the commercial guys are fishing these fish out here, the, the sport guys are fishing these fish over here. We don't have the money to monitor both. We're going to monitor the commercial guys, and we'll just mirror the, the two uh, fisheries. You know, the chamber, uh, now this is official, people. The chamber sent a letter um, that voiced our displeasure about them moving the meeting to Anchorage. Oh. Because, you know, when you have a meeting um, in Ketchikan, like you said, that, that spreads a lot of money around the community when people are staying here for multiple days. Did you notice from a... Um, from a decision-making standpoint or just the, how the whole meeting went up north, um, any sort of difference than it would have been if it were here in Ketchikan? I know there were a lot of people that were disappointed because they couldn't attend the meeting. Um, and fortunately, you could phone in and give public comments, but you couldn't participate in the committee process, which is unique to the Board of Fish meetings. It, it, it's a, I, I love the process that they have. It's like a town hall meeting where you can come up with new information and address the board to the issue that you're, uh, that you're discussing. And so not as many people could participate in that. And I don't know, maybe that was good and bad um, because I think it made the process go a little quicker. <laughs> <laughs> for, for what you <laughs> guys not, are up there doing. By not having so many people there and the people that were there were just the, you know, the, the informed people that were really dedicated to this process because it costs a lot of money to go up there. And that all came out of our pocket. No one sent us up there, but it was just right. something that we felt we needed to do. Um, and because we just, we love our industry and we want to, we want to see it succeed. Did you guys address any other issues while you were up there? Yeah, the, there was a, the salmon issue. That was a big one. Um, so there was a new King salmon. And when I say salmon, I mean King salmon. Uh, there was a new King salmon treaty, I believe in 2019, and those those have a 10-year, uh, those last for 10 years before they'll do the next one. And it this one was different in that over the years we've been able to kind of average to our quota. So if we go over our, if Alaska goes over their king salmon quota one year, you know, they have the opportunity to go under it. And if they go under it, then they have some pounds where they can go over it. Well, this year, or I shouldn't say this year, but since 2019 under the new treaty, there was a payback provision where if you went over your allocation that amount was deducted from your allocation the next year and there was and if you came under those fish were just gone you were never going to get those back again so that means that the uh the commissioner the fishing game commissioner has to manage our fisheries right up to the right up to the you know, exact quota, not allowed to go over. Well, that's easy to do with commercial fisheries, right? Because you can, you can tell these guys, all right, you have this many fish to catch. They, they're delivering their fish. They get fish tickets every time they deliver. They add it up, and they say, okay, you're done. Well, that's kind of hard to do with a 
with a sport fishery. Joe Smith from yeah, Arkansas. You've got, you know? Yeah, you've got people booked through September and they say, oh, you're done fishing in August. You know, you've hit your quota. So. <laughs> yeah, what do you tell your guests? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we operate a lot different than commercial fisheries. We, we sell opportunity. We don't sell fish. And opportunity doesn't always equal harvest. So we, we don't need a whole lot of fish to, you know, to, to run our businesses, but we, we need some. And we need, and we need stable opportunity. We, you know, we don't do well with the in-season closures because that really upsets our guests, and then they, they don't want to come back. They come all the money. They spend all that money to come up here, and then just to find out that the, they can't keep this fish they, were, they thought they could keep when they booked the trip. So we had to, we had to come up with some creative ways to address that. And, uh, and we actually sat down with the trollers, and I think it's the first time that, the, that the, uh, the lodges and the charter fishermen sat down with the trollers and hammered out an agreement. I was, it was great. Um, and we all made some compromises, and, and uh, I give a lot of credit to a couple of the board members who mitigated those meetings. And I think if they can get the trollers and the, um, the guides to come to an agreement, maybe we should send them over to Ukraine and Russia. I think they could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> maybe they'd be good mediators over there as well. Well, that's good. So everything is, is good, good for what happened at the Board of Fisheries in terms of sport fishing. And you walked away very happy, glad that you went. Absolutely, yeah. And I just enjoy, you know, I really enjoy the process and, and seeing old friends that, that uh, also work in that. And I think the, the meetings came out good for everyone, um, not, just the, not just the guides. Um, some of the, the agreements we made with the trollers, I think they're, they're going to end up catching more fish because we don't need, we don't need a whole lot of fish to, process, you know, to, to run our businesses. We can get by with a little and then when there is times of high abundance, we've structured our agreement so that the trollers can catch more fish. Oh, nice. So I think okay. it's, it's going to work. It's going to work good for all of us, I think. One of the other things that, that came up was the uh, kind of at the end of the meeting, which caught me a little off guard, was the King Salmon management plans for the Eunuch River and the Chickaman River. And uh, we've been under special uh, wild stock regulations to address the... Um, the poor returns we've been getting in our local king salmon rivers, and there was some language in there that they were going that they voted on that could have even uh, made our closures more restrictive. Uh, luckily, they didn't pass those, and they left the, all the management in the hands of our local area managers, who do a really good job. Uh, we've got a couple great fishing game uh, local managers here for the sport fishery and the commercial fishery, and. And they've, they've, uh, that's why we've had some of these closures over the last years. Like, we can't start catching king salmon until June 15th. Yeah, we, never, we never used to have that closure. Year? Yeah, it's the same Well, yeah, this year. it really put the kibosh on the derby. It did. It put the kibosh on the derby. It, you know, it took two weeks of revenue away from us um, and a lot of other places, but I feel it was necessary to do it. And it didn't just affect sport fishermen, it, it, it affected the trollers too. And that's why the trollers haven't had a spring fishery in these inside waters for years. They're, they're pretty much forced to fish outside now. But the good news is these actions that we've taken seem to be helping. I, I, last year, the Eunuch River got twice the escapement that they thought it was there was in other words there was there was twice the large chinook entering that river than they predicted the, from the prior year 
So the, the Unic Rivers had, has met the lower escapement goal the last couple of years. Well, they didn't last year, but it did the year before. The Chickaman River barely met escapement goals, I think, the last two years. But they are still on the list of wild stock concerns because you need three good years return before they'll even lift that off. And I, so I think we're still in that. I think we're still in that um, wild stock concern level, and we're going to be there for the the near future. And one of the one of the things that I found interesting at the meeting in talking to the uh, fish and game biologists was it's they're getting plenty of they're getting plenty of fish entering the river. And they're getting really good numbers of fish leaving the river. But I, I, sh I said that wrong. They're not getting very many fish entering the river, but they're getting lots of smolt leaving the river. So the where these fish are dying is it's somewhere in the ocean. Once they come out of the river, there's lots of fish coming out of the river, enough to support a good return. But somewhere from when they leave that river to when they return, there's a lot of die-off. And it, it could be predation. Um, it could be killer whales. It could be, I've heard people say uh, that there's a huge abundance of squid out, out in our waters now that they could be eating a lot of the fry. So something's going on from the time they, they leave those rivers to the time that they come back, which is, which is causing the, the high mortality rate. And it, they, they don't, we're not sure what it is. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So that one came by surprise. So they're going to leave that in place for another number of years. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what Yeah. Well, the good news is they left the management up to the area managers, mm -hmm. and they didn't they didn't take on any more restrictive measures. <laughs> like rockfish, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah a couple yeah. Of years ago. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I I know that I really appreciate the fact that you guys were up there. Um, I, I, you know, I often say it's you can never let people know your opinion if you don't even go to the table. Yes. Absolutely. And you can't participate in the conversation if you're not even present for the conversation. And so I think it's really important that we go up there. And, and we are, you know, the state is so large that there's very lots of different unique areas to it. And you can't just put one swath over the whole thing and say, okay, this is great for everyone. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's so many rivers and, and, uh, and streams and lakes that all contribute to, to salmon. Um, one, before I forget, there was one other Board of Fish decision that I found um, interesting. And it's it's something that's been proposed for, gosh, probably the last 20 years at every meeting. And that was the commercial shrimp fishery, which has always taken place in the fall. At this meeting, they voted to move the fall fishery to a spring fishery. And the reason for that was when you're fishing them in the fall, they're full of eggs. They're all, they're all egged up. And, and the thought is we need to let those, those shrimp, they've made it this far with all those eggs. Let's let them lay their eggs before we harvest them. Makes sense to me. It, I know. <laughs> it's, it's like, made, it's like it's a no-brainer. <laughs> well, we don't fish halibut when they're spawning either. Right, right, right. I think the only fish the only fish we catch when they spawn is a salmon because that's when they're mature and that's when they come back. Right. So it's, that's, you kind of have to do that. But I, I know that uh, they haven't done it in the past because it's going to change who participates in that fishery. You know, there's a lot of permits that aren't being used. Uh, there's people that maybe maybe they're longlining in the spring and they, they're not going to have time to do that shrimp fishery now. So that was always kind of one of the issues is it may change who participates in that fishery. I got to ask, though, does that mean that that could open the door for opportunity for more younger fishermen? 
Um, it, it well, I wouldn't say more younger fishermen, but or just it, other it, it could open the door for other. Well, it will for fishermen that probably already have that permit, but they haven't used it because maybe they were doing something in the fall that conflicted with the when that fishery opened. Um, the but I I think it's going to help the I think it's going to help um, the biomass. We've been in a our shrimp population has been declining for years, mm-hmm. and what used to be, I I know when I was. Uh, when I was sailing and, and working on boats, the shrimp fit, you know, back in the eighties, that shrimp fishery lasted for two months. Now it lasts for about two weeks. And, and there, well, there, not only is there more people doing it, but the stocks are, are way down. Now Canada went to the spring fishery a number of years ago because their biomass was, was really dropping. And since then, since they went to that spring fishery, their stocks are way up, so we're hoping that it, it it'll do the same thing here. That but again, be interesting to it, see. Yeah. It will, but again, there's always predation. You know, um, there's always predation, and I think we're seeing more and more predation uh, from whales and, and things like that than we ever have. Obviously. Okay, so I, dumb question, but I gotta ask it just because I'm, this is not something I'm familiar with. Is there like a person or persons at Fish and Game that specifically study predation? You or know, is it the person that studies the salmon also studies the predation of the salmon? Predation's not, there is no predation factored into any of their uh, their equations when they try to determine harvest. Well, it'd be interesting for them to do that. It, I mean. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, now there's so many whales in the area. I mean, they, did, they never had to worry about it. We also have seen a lot more predation from um, sea otters. Yeah. Yeah. The sea otters are taking all the abalone and the you know and the sea urchins and the and the uh, sea cucumbers and they're even digging gooey ducks now so and crab and and that again that well that came from the same decision that that has increased the whales it's the marine mammal act and uh, and uh, I know it was tough and and uh, here's here's one for here's one to Don Young I remember sitting down with him and we were talking about sea otters. And about how we need to do something about the sea otters, and he goes, "Well, here's the problem. When I'm when I'm in Washington D.C., I hold up a picture of a sea otter, and I hold up a picture of this of this ugly sea cucumber, and I go, which one do you want to save?' And he goes, "They always point to the sea otter." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he always had such a way with words. <laughs> yeah. I heard on the radio, um, and someone was speaking and uh, was referring. Uh, to an exchange, and I'm just going to loosely kind of reiterate this, that he had with uh, Speaker Pelosi, he had a, a tie-on with three animals on it. Uh, it was like a bear, a, a, a seal, and a, a whale, or whatever, salmon, or whatever it was. And she said, oh, a Congressman Young, I see you're becoming an environmentalist now. <laughs> Great tie. And he goes, what? No, this is lunch. <laughs> <laughs> he just always has such a unique way of uh, yeah. addressing things like that. Well, yeah. hey, I really appreciate you stopping in. And, you know, I would invite you. We The Chamber sends out a newsletter every Monday. It goes out to 750 people. If you're not getting it, send me an email at info at com. But if you have any sort, like Nadra's press release, I'll put that in there today. Yeah. Um, but if you have any sort of stuff of interest um, for the industry, by all means, send it to me. I'll, I'll put that out there as well. Um, the more information that goes in that newsletter and through the various media that we work with, uh, it's always helpful. Great. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Hey, let's talk a little more water, people. April Fool's Day, the perfect day to launch the race 
to Alaska Raffle Classic. If you don't remember what this was or is, it is the Race to Alaska Classic that Dan Ortez actually had to get through the legislature several years ago. Think about it. It's like the Nanana Ice Classic for boats. So all you have to do is go to catchcanchamber.com. You can guess when the first boat for the race to Alaska will arrive. Each guess is $5. Now, here's the really cool thing. You could be the dumbest guesser in the whole wide world, and it doesn't matter because everyone who buys the ticket is automatically entered to win two round-trip tickets on Alaska Airlines. So super fun. We launched it on April 1st. You can also get tickets. If you are a more traditional kind of person, you can pick up a physical ticket at Bayco. Gold Rush Jewelry, Pacific Pride, Frontier Shipping, and the Potlatch. And I know I forgot someone, but I'll, I'll check my list. But uh, speaking of lists, got a whole long list of new chamber members. Just want to recognize those folks really fast. Peter H. Jensen, Best Friends Place and Groomingdales, they joined. University of Alaska Southeast, they're back, along with Ketchikan Theater Ballet and new business in town, TAPS. This is really cool. This is really cool. So, um... What she does, it's a travel assistance program. And so if you are, say, a person who lives alone and in this case needs to, say, go down for a heart procedure in Seattle, she will actually help make the travel arrangements, travel with you, do everything like a person, a partner would do for you in terms of, you know, do you need groceries? Do you need that? Do you need that? Do you need? It's a completely customized deal. And she does it for all sorts of travelers. It could be an unaccompanied minor. It could be an elder that needs to go somewhere, whatever it is. Uh, but that's, it's called TAPS. And then she also owns a very cool service called Sweep and Sparkle. So a whole slew of new chamber members. And last but not least, ooh, we're running out of time. Holy smoke. Last but not least, Chamber Lunch this Wednesday. This will be the last one of the spring, and it's noon at the Cape Fox Lodge, and we're going to be hearing from Jason Medeiros. He owns Drones to Hire, which is a super cool drone service. Now, these drones are not like your, I'm going to get my Amazon drone and fly it around. These drones literally can see fish and count fish. They can go in so far as to literally um, see the pine needle on a tree. And they, so in other words, if you're doing a, say, a, a timber uh, sale and you want to know which kind of species of trees are there, take that drone to higher above it and bam. Are, do these drones also go underwater when you say they see No, not fish? underwater. They don't go underwater. Not underwater. And then he also has a thermo um, mapping option. So if you were uh, perhaps doing, um, and this would be spendy for the individual homeowner, but if you had a building that is like, oh my gosh, why did my heating bill go up to $50,000 this month. Well, he can uh, thermomap a building and say, mm-hmm. yep, on the right-hand side over there, that's that's what's happening over there. Really cool service, new business in town. So that's this Wednesday at noon at the Cape Fox Lodge. want to give a big shout-out to our premier sponsor of the Chamber, Alaska Airlines, for bringing those Chamber lunches to you. Hey, that'll do it for today. Don't forget you can catch all of the podcasts at catchcanchamber.com, courtesy of our friends at the Ketchikan Radio Center. Have a great rest of your week.